Hey everyone, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Dorenda Wilson, wife to one, mom to eight, Nana to seven, and 25-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart. This is a devotional written specifically for homeschooling moms. I have a new book coming out soon. You guys, I'm getting so excited. It's called The 4-Hour School Day. Now, this project has been in the works for a couple of years. It's being published by Zondervan, and it is coming out June 29th, so that is right around the corner. I am planning on doing some Facebook Lives where I will be giving away signed copies of the book, and they will be shipped to people before... The book actually launches in June, so join me on a Facebook Live. Um, these will be on Tuesdays starting, um, let me look at my calendar here real quickly. The last one will be the day of the launch, which is the 29th, so that makes the first one June 8th. That will be the first Facebook Live. So I am super excited about this because I'm going to be talking about uh, different parts of my book. I'll actually be reading some of the book um, to y'all. So you'll be able to kind of get a feel for what it's about. But overall, it is written to parents who are on the fence, uh, as my husband says, at the fence when it comes to homeschooling, on the fence. Or they're already homeschooling and they just need a shot in the arm or some redirection or just regrouping, recalibrating. And, you know, summertime is a great time to do that. Um, The school year has ended for most people. The calendar is over and and we're starting to think about next year. What do we want next year to look like? So um, in the following podcast throughout the month of June, I am going to be, again, talking about some pieces in my book Today, I'm going to be talking about why parents matter, because I think it's important to understand the value of your parental role. I think that's really where it starts when it comes to making decisions for our kids. We have to understand the value of our role. Now, that value isn't given to us by other people. That value isn't given to us by doctors. It isn't given to us by teachers or educators or lawyers or anyone else. That value is given to us by God. That role is given to us by God. And I don't know if any of you are involved in the public school right now. I know that schools are vast and varied, but as I was looking over parentalrights.org, I was just kind of perusing that and seeing kind of what's the what's the current, you know, temperature when it comes to the role of parents in public school. And here are some of the things that I found. Now, I'm not a big fan of, you know, instilling fear in people. That's not the point of what I'm saying. But I'm going to go through a few concerning things because I think parents, for the most part, if they've had their kids in public school ever, they've had some of these experiences, quite possibly. And I think they tend to be sort of um, minimized and overlooked and the point of talking about this today is that a parent, a parent's role in their child's life should never be overlooked, should never be understated. And so I'm going to share with you a few things that I found. 
Um, it says here, public school, no parents allowed. Apparently, there are laws in a majority of states that limit or entirely deny to parents any right to be present on school grounds where their child is in attendance. You guys, that is just wrong on every level. A parent should have access to their child any time they want. That right there is a huge red flag. And I know some of that has actually been, um, that problem's been magnified with COVID. Um, in, in, in certain schools, I've heard, I've heard, um, you know, some stories here and there, but overall, um, this whole idea is absolutely, uh, not okay. So the second thing that I found on parentalrights.org, which by the way, is a great website and a great organization. It says here, public school parents are losing say regarding content. So the Ninth Circuit in Fields and Palmdale held that parents have no constitutional right to prevent a public school from providing its students with whatever information it wishes to provide, sexual or otherwise, when and as the school determines that it is appropriate to do so. Wow. So they get to decide, not you, when your child learns about anything and everything again that is your decision. As a parent, it's not only your decision, it is your responsibility. You are ultimately accountable for what your children learn and when they learn it, whether you abdicate that role to someone else or not. And my point in saying this, again, is to emphasize the importance of your role as a parent in your children's lives. Now, maybe some of you are listening, many of you are listening, and you're homeschooling, so you're thinking, why does this even apply to me? I just want you to be affirmed today that what you're doing matters and that homeschooling your kids, um, I just want you to be encouraged to keep doing it because you are having an, an impact on your children and an influence on your children. And I mean, if nothing else, on the worst days, at least you are protecting them from Lord only knows what. You are called to protect them as parents. That's one of our jobs. It's one of our many jobs as parents. And so don't feel guilty about that. And even if you're struggling right now with homeschooling, I just want to encourage you, you can figure this out. You can problem solve and overcome this. I guarantee you. Um, I just encourage you, most of my listeners, I think pretty much all of my listeners are Christian parents. Ask the Lord for wisdom. It says in James 1 that if we lack wisdom, all we have to do is ask God and he will give it to us generously. It's not even saying that he'll just sort of sparsely give us wisdom. He says he'll give it generously, but the caveat is that we have to believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded in all he does. We don't want to be double-minded, so we're going to go to the Lord and we're going to say, God, I need your wisdom. You know this kid better than I do. You know this obstacle. You know me. What can we do to overcome this obstacle? So the third thing that I found um, when it came to homeschooling, parental rights to educational choice are being questioned. Several academic journals over the last few years have featured claims by academic elitists that public education should be mandatory and universal. 
Again, this is our decision, how we want to educate our children. Maybe some of you are new listeners. Um, Maybe a friend that's homeschooling shared this podcast with you after listening to it. I want you to understand something. You are adequately equipped to make educational decisions for your children. This is one of the reasons that I wrote the four-hour school day is because I am passionate about, about returning that privilege and that responsibility um, into the hands of parents. This is your right. This is your privilege. And even more so, it's your responsibility. You are going to stand before the Lord. I'm going to stand before the Lord for every decision made concerning my child. So even if I abdicate the educational role in my child's life to someone else, I am still responsible before God as to what that child takes in. Yes, the teacher holds some responsibility as well, but ultimately we as parents stand before God responsible for the rearing and raising and education and training and discipleship of our children. So I just want to encourage you, you can do this. Again, that's why I wrote the four-hour school day because I want parents to know it is so doable. And when I talk about four hours a day, I am talking about my high schoolers spent a max of approximately four hours a day. When we're talking about kindergarten, first grade, we're talking maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour, depending on the kid. So I encourage you to check this book out because I think you'll be so encouraged. It's based on my experience raising and homeschooling our eight kids from the beginning, and we have seven graduated so far. Um, And I'm telling you, it is one of the single best decisions we ever made. One of the reasons we made that decision was because we read years ago, I think before we even had children, or at least when they were very small, this particular passage in Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 11, verses 18 to 21, says, So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. God has a good plan for our families. He has good land. Um, And when I talk about land, I'm talking about just this whole idea of everything that's within the scope of our stewardship, including our children. So God wants us to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to his word and teach them to our children. And when he talks about when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you go to bed and when you get up, my husband and I were reading that like, well, that sounds like every day day in, day out, from sunrise to sunset. These children are our responsibility to disciple, and we did not feel like we could do a good job of that by handing them off for eight hours a day, five days a week. Some other 
scriptures that are just absolutely important to pay attention to. Proverbs 1 verses 8 and 9 says, Praise the Lord. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. So essentially what that's saying is a parent has a very um, important role in their child's life, a very, very uh, influential role in their lives. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 Paul is talking to Timothy, young Timothy, telling him, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. So why does it continue to be strong in Timothy? Well, I believe it's because he had at least one parent who was fully committed to passing that faith along. Not only one parent, but he also had a grandmother who was reinforcing it as well. So that multi-generational influence. But our culture sends a message in passive and obvious ways that parents are not important. You look at Disney shows, which, I mean, obviously they're not a great example of family life, but they're they're the kind of... Um, entertainment that much of our country and our culture is taking in and it portrays dads as losers and parents as sort of a side dish rather than a valuable source or protection, um, a valuable source of protection, direction, and counsel. You know, it's to be expected that the world would not only function but be diametrically opposed to a biblical standard. This is why we as believers must be intentional about the role that we play in our kids' lives. And I am going to, for the first time, read a section of my book to you, my listeners, first. Um, Before the Facebook Lives, uh, before it goes out any other place, I want you to hear a very important section um, that I've written in the four-hour school day. And it is on um, the topic of a multi-generational thinking. So until 50 to 60 years ago, it was common for people in general to have a multi-generational perspective. People lived and made decisions based not solely on what they wanted, but on what would benefit future generations. It inspired those pilgrim parents to sail on the Mayflower in hopes of finding a place where they and their descendants could worship freely. It gave courage to young men who went off to war to defend liberty so that their children and grandchildren would be free. They considered it an honor to give their lives for the next generation. We have been the blessed recipients of their faith and their sacrifice. This perspective didn't come out of the blue or by chance. It is rooted in biblical principles. Consider these words spoken by Moses to the people of Israel as they were about to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the desert. Deuteronomy 4 verses 9 and 10 in the New Living Translation says, Be careful. 
never to forget what you yourselves have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live, and be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai, where he told me, summon the people before me, and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live, and they will teach their children to fear me also. So in this long-awaited and defining moment, what did God want his people to remember to do from that day forward? He not only wanted them to remember all he had done for them, he wanted them to pass those stories on to their children so that their children would fear or reverence him as well. Their choices affected generations to come. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, the apostle Paul wrote, that we must raise our children with the dis- discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord, Ephesians 6.4. The wise writer of Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9 verse 10. In other words, all knowledge and wisdom originate with God. So it's absolutely essential that we pass the fear of the Lord or our faith on to our kids. Again, it is not optional. It is the very foundation from which they will live their lives. This is why it didn't matter so much to my husband, Daryl, and me what our kids decided to do for a living as long as they had an active and personal relationship with God. We wanted them to learn to hear from God for themselves, to recognize his voice and to walk out what he was directing them to do. And in order for them to recognize his voice, they had to know who he is. And Daryl and I had to model biblical principles in our own lives and spend time with other people who did the same. Jesus used a great illustration that succinctly describes the need for discipleship. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher, Luke 6, 39-40. There are two things here for us as parents, two principles. First of all, children are not born with wisdom. Wisdom has to be learned. Essentially, we could call children foolish. They're blind to wisdom right? Now picture the traditional classroom setting full of 25 to 30 kids. As wonderful as a teacher might be, it's not likely that the impact of the teacher's wisdom, if that's even great, we don't know, if that wisdom will outweigh the impact of the foolishness all those children bring to that environment. And the second principle here is that children will become like their teacher. When we leave our children with a teacher, how well do we really know that person? Do we know them well enough that we're confident we would like our child to be like them? Even if we are confident, are we willing to let the other children in the class disciple our children? Are you okay with that? I can guarantee you that that is also happening. As parents, the responsibility for who we allow to influence our children falls squarely on our shoulders. When we drop them off at school or any other place, we are still ultimately responsible before God for the influence teachers and other students have on our children. We are giving them permission to impact our kids for several hours a day, five days a week. Make no mistake, education is never neutral. Education is discipleship. The public school system is a government school system. It is ultimately ruled and funded by the government. In the New Testament, Jesus referred to the government as Caesar. Pastor and theologian Vodi Bauckham wrote, We cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. This is exactly what is happening. 
According to a recent LifeWay research report, 66% of teens who regularly attend church stop attending when they become young adults. Now, I realize that there can be more than one reason for this, but I am also convinced that secular education plays a big part. Again, this is because education is not neutral. When our kids spend that many hours at school, it will greatly impact who they become. We have the opportunity of a lifetime to influence our children for the kingdom of God. By doing so, we are investing not only into the next generation, but also in the generations that come after that as well. One of the most effective ways we can impact impact the culture is to, is to raise children who know what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, Luke 10, 27. Mother Teresa is credited with saying, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. This doesn't mean we shouldn't minister to people outside of our families. It's simply a reminder that our work at home with our kids matters. It is just as much a mission field as any other. The great thing is that we typically get to disciple our kids from day one. Ask any missionary and they will tell you that's a luxury that they don't have. They generally begin discipleship after a person has experienced much hurt, pain, and brokenness. From the time our kids are very young, we have the opportunity to expose them to the beauty and goodness of God through nature, music, meaningful conversation, good books, fulfilling experiences, and rich relationships. The impact this has on our children is even more powerful when offered by warm, loving, engaged parents. A child who grows up in a healthy, godly environment will naturally and willingly learn the things they need to know for successful adulthood with far less stress and a whole lot more joy. But this lifestyle takes time. It requires us to slow down. We need to listen for God's voice so we can hear his heart for us and for our kids and so we can focus on discipleship. Education is discipleship. Discipleship is rooted in relationships, and relationships take time. Let's consider again the words of Jesus. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Jesus is saying our kids will become like us for good and for ill. So when we find ourselves acting in a way we wouldn't want them to act, our love for our kids and the call to disciple them can motivate us to humble ourselves, repent of our wrongdoing, and make a change. This is what gospel-centered, what a gospel-centered home looks like. It's what gives us hope. None of us are perfect parents or teachers or kids, but that's the point. We don't have to be. Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't. He died to pay the debt for our sins, and then he rose again, conquering sin and death for us. He bought our freedom, and because of him, there is redemption. He redeems the messy. He turns ashes into beauty. He heals the brokenhearted, and he makes all things beautiful in his time. In other words, it's a process and a journey, but one in which he walks right beside us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. His mercies are new every morning. More is caught than taught. Our kids are watching us. As we cling to God's promises and walk in humble obedience to Him, we are showing our kids that the God we serve is a powerful, loving, faithful, merciful, just, and good God. As we model this day in and day out, God becomes very real and tangible to our kids not just a storybook character. 
If you are new to the Christian faith, haven't been authentically walking it out, or simply aren't familiar with God's word, let today be the day that changes that. For the sake of your children and grandchildren, get to know God and his word and determine to learn right alongside your kids. You'll be astounded at what God does as you walk this journey together. Remember, you are making the investment of a lifetime. Years from now, when you see your grandchildren and great-grandchildren loving and serving him with all their hearts, you will thank God that you did. Parents, you matter. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for your reminders of our very important role, our God-given role, our God-given calling in our parenting. Lord, you've given us the opportunity to influence the next generation. May we do so remaining faithful to you, raising our kids in the nurture and admonition of you, honoring you in all that we say and do, educating them in the ways that bring you glory and honor and prepare them for the plans and the purposes that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. 